Welcome to my podcast, Freestyle. I really hope you enjoy today's episode, and if so, please share it on social media. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome British Olympic dressage para rider and MBE, Sophie Wells. Sophie has already achieved so much, and she has won three Olympic medals in 2012 Paralympics, two golds and one silver at Rio Paralympics, and most recently, team gold and individual silver at 2020 Tokyo Paralympics. Today I want to find out more about Sophie, her philosophy in general, her daily routine, who inspires her and why, any setbacks that she might have had and how she got through them, her experiences at the Olympics that she's been to so far, the future and so much more. Thank you very much for listening and please share it on social media. Joining me today, um, I feel really lucky to have you on, especially after you were so successful in Tokyo. Thank you. My my first question really is: is how did your passion for dressage and horses begin? Um, so I was brought up like on a farming family, so um, I had different opportunities, you know, just to try different sports, like my brother, and yeah. um, riding was one of them. And I was really allergic to the horses, so I actually stopped riding for a little bit, but then went back to the local riding school because I was obviously hooked at that point. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, just started, yeah, a normal riding school and did bits of jumping and obviously like pony club and stuff. And then quickly realised that dressage was a bit more my thing when <laughs> I fell off quite a few times, like when I was when I was younger I didn't have like looped reins so I, I couldn't hold them that well so I used to like wrap them around my wrists and obviously then yes. when you jump and the pony puts their head down as they go over like I'd lose my reins and then <laughs> I'd be off so um oh yeah. um quickly found out that yeah dressage was a bit my thing and I am naturally a bit of a perfectionist anyway so it kind of suited my personality and um yeah just went from there really that's exciting. And so how old were you when you got your first like pony and started to compete doing dressage, really? Uh, so I got my first pony when I was like seven. Um, yeah. But it was very much like we kept her in the um, with the cattle in the in the yard and then um, transported her around in a cattle trailer that the, oh, did the you? farm had. So um, like, yeah, started very, very basic. And then... Um, yeah did my first like riding club dressage tests and stuff when I was like eight and then yeah I think joined BD when I was maybe 10. Okay yeah. So yeah and then just and just started down that route really. So, so it all went from there and did you always dream of becoming an Olympian? What inspires you? Uh, I was really lucky to start training with Vicky Thompson Winfield um, yeah. when I was 10 I think and like we like just once a month when she came up for clinics um and like from there and like Vicky really inspired me a in the way she rode because she's such a classical rider um looked so elegant on a horse and um obviously then I started to watch more and you know I remember um yeah watching you know quite big championships and things when I was quite young and just thinking you know I'd love to be able to do that and at the time I had no no concept of kind of disability sport or the fact that I had a disability really because I'd I'd just been treated like everybody else and found my way around you know the issues with the reins and stuff so um 
yeah it, it was probably Vicky that inspired me and then you know watching obviously our, our dressage team um I think I think it was the Europeans at Hickstead in was it 2003 um yeah, yeah. and yeah yeah and I can remember you know just obviously the media wasn't as um accessible as it is now but um yeah even back then just being inspired by by the dancing horses I guess <laughs> Was it like a light bulb moment or did you just obviously just follow your dream and you arrived at that goal or were you quite structured and think right you know I don't know what age or whatever did you start thinking I'm, I'm going to go to the Olympics like this will happen like um it I I guess I, I wanted to compete at I wanted to do Grand Prix um yeah. that was definitely a dream and then and then when I got talent spotted by David Hamer for the parrot side of things um yeah. and then went into kind of the paradressage world-class program and and that's when I guess it, Paralympics became a little bit more like on my radar and but yeah. I've always I kind of taken disability out of it I I would I would love to compete at top level in in dressage you know full stop at Grand Prix and um my goal is is like anybody else's and to train the horses you know the best that I can and yeah the best of their ability so um yeah and then and you, then... you were on the junior new uh, I think you're on the junior young rider able-bodied European teams as well weren't you I think yeah two young yeah. rider Europeans 2010 and 2011 um so that was really cool because you know back then you know I was like one of the first to do it and you know yeah. the, the looks that I got from <laughs> from people at the Europeans in Kronberg in 2010 like <laughs> yeah because people just hadn't seen it you know um and I you know I just wanted to prove that I I just wanted to be treated exactly the same as everybody else I didn't want any special treatment I just wanted to go and do what everyone else was doing yeah um and yeah it shouldn't be about the disability um it should be about the ability on the horse and then you know and then everyone else is on an equal playing field really so um that's kind of always been my dream is to yeah not be held back just because I have a disability yeah and it sounds like from what you're saying as well having that philosophy has really stood you in good in a good position and that's probably why you're doing as well as you are because um you know you're really positive about it all which is great yeah and I think I've had some really good kind of role models and stuff and I think you know you, you can't take shortcuts as such and not that people like necessarily should but you know you can't use force as much as maybe some people could and but yeah. I had trainers you know I started with Vicky Thompson and then went to um, Tracy Woodhead and and then Angela Weiss and like all three of them have been amazing within their training that you know it is all about you know the communication with the horse it's, it's about the seat and the leg and and it you know taking the contact a little bit out of it you know yeah. um, so, uh, you know, I feel very lucky to have been influenced by, you know, those trainers and, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully it, it comes out in my riding. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You've got such a good feel as well, haven't you? I think that's really evident to see. Um, can you tell me about your setup, where you're based, how many you ride per day? Yeah. So I am now uh, on the Lincolnshire, Nottinghamshire border. Um, yeah. So I moved back from my 
coach's yard. I was based there in Nottingham with for six years with Angela and okay. moved back just before Rio um, to set up on like the my dad's farm. Um, so I kind of just started very small just with four stables and I'm still very small compared to a lot of people. <laughs> but uh, 12 horses um, in, but three of them are my retired um, horses like the Beijing, um, London and Rio games. Um, yeah. so those three horses are kind of retired with me now. Um, but all the others are um, either a mixture of my horses or horses in for training, um, particularly for other para riders. Um, okay. I don't, I, I teach like everybody, um, whatever level or whatever um, ambition and whether able-bodied or but I do have a few paras that are based with me. Um, and I ride, um, at the minute I've got a couple off, but I, I ride kind of between six and eight a day. Um, and normally in the morning and each in the afternoon. And do you have um, another rider there that helps you as well, or is it just you? No, just me. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of greens obviously help me um, swap the horses um, through the morning and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite at the stage where um, of the setup that I could I could have another rider, but, you know, may, maybe in the future. But it's quite nice being able to do it myself as well. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, weighing it up, isn't it? Yeah you know having more horses and more riders but then not doing so much yourself as well exactly no I definitely agree with that. and um what is your weekly routine like for your horses um just roughly what do you like to do with them uh so it's probably quite a typical one like Monday Tuesday they school Wednesday they have an easier day so they either go hacking we only hack around the farms fields we don't go on the roads um or um, some of them have a little lunge or um, some pole work and then school again on Thursday, Friday and then same on Saturday with an easier day um, and then Sundays um, I try to give them all off um, but obviously like the younger horses might not do quite so much um, you know they tend to have a, you know a couple of days off a week and you know they don't do so much intense schooling work but um yeah, I try to, they all go out in the field as well. So I try to kind of keep it for them as horsey as they can be um, yeah. without them hurting themselves. <laughs> and are they all quite different in temperaments um, and confirmation? Or do you have, would you say that you've got a type of horse that you go for? Um, I mean, if you look at a few of mine, it looks like I've got a type, but just in <laughs> colour and markings. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's kind of been very fluke. Um <laughs> I, yeah I haven't necessarily gone out looking for them but um I mean I've always gone for bigger horses even though I'm five foot two and <laughs> yeah. I can only hold the rein with one finger on each rein so um I don't know why I've always had big horses but I mean yeah it's kind of happened and then only the past couple of years really like face of attraction my top top horse he's only 16 too um and then I've got a little five-year-old that's um about the same size so I've got a couple that are a bit smaller but yeah my seven-year-old 17-3 which he wasn't when we first bought him but oh, really yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah I would have said I would have said it like five years ago I definitely had a bigger stamp of horse um, yeah. my type but um 
I mean, the smaller ones, I definitely find a bit easier to get around the, the higher level tests. <laughs> and um, do you sort of get them at any age? Does it does it really matter when you sort of take them on or do you like to take them on at a certain point? Um, I quite like the younger ones. I don't break them in myself because I don't feel like that's my area of um, expertise. Yeah, um, sure. And also I don't have anyone to help me at home either. So um, I'd normally get them kind of four or five years old. Um, yeah. So they've kind of gone out and they've seen, um, kind of gone to their first show and stuff. But um, I, I I do much prefer to get them younger because then you feel like you can put your stamp on them and, you know, you make the mistakes yourself, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. yeah. But um, Don Cara, who I who I took to Tokyo, he I I got him when he was <clears throat> rising eleven, so eighteen months ago. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, he was one of the ones that I got kind of later on, um, but through, yeah, different circumstances. But, um, yeah, I think it is quite, it's harder, isn't it, when you take on somebody else's because either you you want to change your approach or you don't necessarily know what they've been through in the past. And it takes a little bit longer to get together with them, I think, when they're a bit older and they've got their own history. Yeah, I agree with that. I think some people think it's easier perhaps to take one, an older one on, but I actually think it can be, like you say, it's harder because yeah. they're, they're refined to that particular rider, aren't they? Yeah, and you just don't know kind of, you know, things that they've been through and maybe why they react to certain things. And, I, you know, I quite like, you know, knowing them through all the stages and I get quite a lot of satisfaction of, you know, taking them through the levels as well and, you know, I think obviously we get hopefully get better at that as we get older. And I, I was definitely yeah. quite slow at taking them through the levels, but you know, um, at the beginning, and you know, you just get a bit better at it, don't you? But um, yeah, I definitely get a lot of um, yeah, a lot of satisfaction from training them through the levels. That's good. And I think you said that you train with Angela and Tracy. Do you train with anyone else or? Um, so I did train with Tracy and, and so recently, well, yeah, since I stopped training with Tracy in 2005, more because um, I got onto the World Class Programme and then we were getting more input from there. So it was quite hard to split the time. Yeah. Um, so I trained with Angela and then over the last year started training with Carl, um, which has been amazing to get his input and especially with Donny. Um, yeah, he's he trained um, Amy on Donny before I got him, so it was quite nice because he knew him as well. Um, yeah. So and he's quite um, a hot horse and quite sensitive, so um, definitely getting Carl's input on that was really really helpful. What breeding is he? So he's by um, Bon Jovi, um, KWPN, but. Um, yeah, apparently his mum, Cara, is is a little bit of the anxious type as well as as him. So she, yeah, I think he, she passed on that trait to him. That's good. It's good. Then you must be good with the hot ones too. That sounds exciting. Um, have you ever had any major setbacks? And if you have, what advice would you give to people having tough times? Yeah, I mean, this year I feel like I've had quite a lot of setbacks. Um, but yeah, definitely through the years. I mean, this year, um, George, face attraction, he had an injury. He went to Mysco Premier League on the 1st of May, um, yeah. won the Inter one, but I felt like in the last try extension, it just wasn't quite right. 
So I brought yeah. him home and um, had him scanned and he'd torn his dispensary in front. Oh, oh no. And obviously, like, he was supposed to be my top one aiming for Tokyo and beginning of May was quite close to, yeah. <laughs> to Tokyo. So, um, yeah, that I felt like that was quite stressful. I mean, I had Donny um, kind of in the background um, campaigning as well. And then my seven-year-old, Jay-Z, he was also campaigning, but very much as a backup. Um, and he definitely, you know, his time will come in the future, but he definitely wasn't ready necessarily to go um, yeah. but it was yeah it was quite hard to deal with just because you know he'd been I think he'd done five championships I think he'd done three Europeans and a world and wow. then um, was reserved for Rio so like you kind of when you get them young like I'd had him eight and a half years so like we bought him with Tokyo in mind so obviously when it was postponed last year and then oh yeah it was happening this year like you know you really want to you know all that hard work to to culminate in that big championship um which is kind of it is what we aim for and it isn't like you know training every day I train them to just be better and um yeah I really enjoyed the training process but I suppose when you've been in that environment where you're aiming for a championship every day and you're aiming for medals um when that looked like it was going to be taken away in May, that was quite difficult. And then we had Rachel Murray was really good and my home vet, Matthew Barlow, and, and getting a rehab programme for him and um, treatment. So we did actually get him um, getting fitter and it was healing quite well. Um, and then just had like lots of other things, like he had um, an allergy to alfalfa, um, so he had like his whole body was covered in hives, but we didn't re we didn't realize it at the time, if that makes sense. So it was only in hindsight that we you know, found it out. And then just before quarantine, when he we thought he was going to go to Tokyo, um, he got an infection in his in his one of his hind legs, which is just like you know one of those fluke things, uh, yeah. which actually was the thing that stopped him um, going to Tokyo. And we had to make that decision that you know it was just too risky for him but his front leg seemed okay with the injury and then I've come home and um we've had it rescanned and it's not um yeah it's gone backwards and it's healing and um we've kind of got to start again a little bit so it, it, horses are hard aren't they because yeah they definitely no, are. <laughs> no guarantee and you can work you know for years to to get them to a high level like he's you know he was ready to go out at Grand Prix and yeah yeah but you know some things just aren't meant to be are they but it is quite hard to um I mean at least on the positive side you got to take the other horse out and you had you did really well didn't you as well so yeah no yeah. it was great and and you know Donny hopefully it's just the beginning with him although he's 12 he's he's not had much experience and exposure to those sorts of competitions so um I definitely went with a lot lower expectations and then managed to enjoy the competition probably a lot more than I have done okay. in the past just because I didn't feel the pressure um, sure. as much. So, yeah, that that was um, a different angle, I suppose, to, to the competition. I mean, that brings me on to my next question, really, because I think Olympians, the ones that I know, always feel to have like such positive attitudes. Um, and mentally, you must be very sort of tough 
Um, have you had to like work on your mindset, or do you think that's you've just naturally got it? No, I've definitely had to work on it. I think, um, like, I've been lucky to work with some sports psychologists through the years, um, through the world class program, and I've also been like really interested in it anyway through, you know, whether it be through my coaching or um, I'm doing a um, PG dip, a UKCC level four um, in coaching at the minute and like the mindset thing fascinates me and it always has done like I find autobiographies fascinating and podcasts like yours and you know just to see how people tick and how they manage to perform so well um so definitely the interest in it and going in search of that information has has helped me develop that mindset but then also having good people around you to kind of support those setbacks and um and you know knowing that whatever happens the sun's going to come up tomorrow and yeah the the world's not going to end even though sometimes it does feel like it no I know Um, know what you mean (laughs) so I think like you know you know I think experience you know helps you with that as well doesn't it but um yeah just overcoming challenges and and yeah you you kind of horses kind of build build that in I think but definitely you you know needing to see the positives and things is is really important because yeah would you say would you say that you use visualization a lot yeah so I've um done quite a lot of it um and try to do it in real time so um it's quite easy to kind of fast track through like your test if you know what I mean you know Mm. visualize yourself going through the test but everyone tends to do it quite quickly um, trying to do it in real time and with Don Cara in Tokyo he he is so sensitive I've used a lot of um, breathing I worked with Charlie Unwin for a while um, and used a lot of the breathing techniques to try and kind of keep my heart rate low and keep the kind of muscle tension lower rather than because it's you know we can all get pumped up can't we for competition and adrenaline's going and like for that horse it's literally like the worst thing um so yeah like using that visualization and the breathing within that as well um has definitely helped me yeah I think one of my German trainers used to have a bit of an expression and used to say like for the lazier horse turn your fire on and then for the for the hotter yeah. you've got to turn your fire off and I suppose that sort of links in a little bit with breathing and things too yeah definitely and I think like it was a different championship for me because I've always had horses that I could like turn my fire on a little bit and really yeah. go for tests and really go for every mark and push um whereas yeah it's the, my first championship where I've had to literally go and ask for less and less and less and go for the relaxation and the harmony but it still achieved, you know, good success. But it was just such a different approach that I had to take because of of the, you know, temperament of the horse. Yeah. Well, that shows that you that you can sort of uh, adapt, which is really good. Um, because you've had to do it on, you know, different sort of horses, which I think is another, you know, feather in your cap, really. Yeah, and I think like it keeps it keeps the sport fresh, doesn't it? Like you know, yeah. like so many people ask, like, why do you keep going if you've achieved? And you know, horses just teach us so much every day, don't they? And every horse is different, and you have to, you know, my my riding's had to change, and I've had to definitely learn so much with this horse. So, yeah, we we keep we keep trying to improve. And which of the riders would you say that inspire you? So Carl Carl's a massive one that um, 
is so inspirational in the way that he approaches different horses and you know watching him bring on horses um yeah you know at grand prix it's you know he's so skilled um but yeah i mean you know there's so many so many riders in this country and abroad that you know you can take so much from because they have different qualities um but yeah, yeah. definitely Carl's, Carl's definitely up there and do you have your own personal fitness routine off the horse yeah so um i do quite a lot off horse um i've got a personal trainer who i work with every week um actually on zoom at the moment because of covid but it's kind of it's worked that i then don't have to travel an hour to see him oh, it saved a bit of time um but i do run quite a bit but my part of my disability is in my legs and my feet so i nearly lost my feet when i was born so i've got quite a lot of nerve problems in my lower leg okay. so yeah yeah so i can't feel below my scars on my um it's basically at the bottom of my lower leg I've got really deep scars where they stitched my feet back on when I was like 10 days old oh my god I can't feel anything below that so I can't feel my feet or um yeah anything below and then because the bands are quite constricted around um my legs um, it's caused a lot of nerve problems in my lower legs so I have to be careful what I do because if I do like too much running then it triggers the nerve pain um which i'm on medication for which really helps but um once the nerves get kicked off then i have weakness in my legs and yeah they've i used to spend time on crutches and stuff when i was younger because we could we'd find it hard to manage um but we can manage it a lot better now but they're definitely they're still quite annoying (laughs) i'd rather not have that issue but um yeah, so I, I definitely do quite a lot of fitness stuff, um, like some hit training, obviously a lot of core balance work, um, running for just general fitness. Yeah. Um, yeah, just thinking outside the box, really. That's good to know. Um, and you, you've been highly successful. Uh, one of my questions is, can you describe what it feels like to win a gold medal? Like the feeling of it? Yeah. Uh overwhelming um <laughs> yeah I mean like we won team gold in Tokyo and I, I honestly can't tell you I mean we've we've won team gold ever since the sport had, has began in the in the games in 96 but every year it's kind of got harder and harder and this time we genuinely didn't think that we were going to be in a position where we could get that team gold okay. um, and the fact that we you know each one of the team worked so hard and got absolutely everything out of their horses in that moment. It was all came like, together. Yeah. Yeah. And we were literally speechless. Like we couldn't believe it had happened. Um, it was so overwhelming. And I think like when I came out of my silver medal winning test in Tokyo, I mean, I'm not the most emotional person, but I literally broke down in tears as I was walking out of the arena oh. because like what with George having his injury and then I actually got COVID three weeks before flying to Tokyo so I didn't know if I'd actually be able to go yeah you know there's so much that you put into you know like a medal winning test it's not just that five minutes in the arena it's all you know the year building up to it and that campaign and then also all of the years you know previous to that and your you know your hopes and your dreams coming into it and everybody that's helped you 
to get to that point because literally you wouldn't be able to do it without so many people's support and and that's when it kind of culminates in that massive you know <laughs> outburst of emotion I can imagine afterwards because it yeah it, it isn't just that five minutes um and the relief is immense yeah <laughs> it is relief because like you finally done it type thing it yeah it's a very bizarre um feeling but obviously one of massive pride and um and happiness and and yeah gratitude and each each one I suppose symbols are different you know it's it's a different journey for each medal I presume so it's uh it's you know it must feel very special yeah like I for London and Rio I was really gunning for the gold medal individually and um in London I I didn't get it I went in as world and European champion and I didn't get it and I really struggled with not, not I didn't struggle with losing the gold but I struggled with feeling like I wasn't good enough and having made a mistake in those tests yeah and so knowing that it was abs- you know absolutely in my control and my responsibility and my fault that that didn't happen um but I definitely spiraled into not a very good place um running up to Rio um wanting to achieve it again um and then worked quite a lot on my on my psychology in the build up to Rio to try and get a lot more process focused and less outcome focused um but that's easier said than done when kind of you're in a sport that is (laughs) marked on percentage obviously you've put up against everybody else um it's we you know we're on the world class program which has got so many amazing benefits but at the same time if you don't win medals you're off the program and you don't get funding Uh, i mean i I don't know i'd imagine the first medal is the easiest one really isn't it because it's not unexpected but you know it's it's the first one but yeah after that you've got this pressure going on continually i suppose yeah and i think that yeah to win your first medals like you say there isn't the pressure or the expectation there and you forget to enjoy it so like Georgia who I coach went to her first games in Tokyo and she won her first medals there and you know I I literally said like just literally enjoy every moment because there will never be that first time again yeah you know that same level of enjoyment but sometimes you do you do forget to enjoy it because straight away you're on to the next thing you're thinking right for the next games or the next championship or the next competition and we're very good at kind of thinking about the next one, which is great because it keeps you moving and it keeps you focused in, for the future rather than dwelling necessarily, maybe. Um, yeah. But sometimes then you, you do forget to enjoy the success, whatever that is, whether that's winning a medal, winning a test, or, or literally, like my goal for Tokyo was for him to come out more confident and relaxed than he has been at previous shows and that was my medal in a way because yeah. I felt like I'd achieved that and that was huge within his journey so yeah just trying to enjoy enjoy those smaller things as well and sort of talking about the Olympics again I think you've done three Olympics now haven't you yeah um can you describe just briefly like through each of the games how they were different for you yeah so I mean obviously London was amazing so it was a home games and it was my first yeah. games um we had so much support there there was so much interest um you know that obviously everybody could go and watch because it was in in the UK so 
that yeah. was great but in a way I suppose that gave that added dimension of pressure as well because all of your home team were yeah. able to be there which is great if it goes well yeah <laughs> um, yes yeah, so, and it was our you know it was our first game so everything is amazing and that you've never seen a Olympic village before you've never been in the food hall you've never you know been yeah you know on village transport and all of that sort of thing and in the kit and you know it's you know mind-blowing almost for your first games and then for Rio obviously I knew what to expect to a certain extent but it was the other side of the world which (laughs) (laughs) puts in a different dynamic and also the cultural dynamic of it as well because you know the we didn't particularly do much traveling but just going from the village to the to the venue you could see the um contrast in um people's lives over there because you had people living in favelas which are really poor um shacks basically and then you know on the other side of the road massive mansions on gated yeah. communities and yeah it, it, it was that's that was amazing in itself just to see um and yeah, the competition was so different because we didn't really have a crowd. Like in London, we had 12,000 people, which was amazing. And wow. like they could have sold more tickets, but they didn't yeah. think there'd be the interest. So they didn't have the volunteers there to be able to handle the crowds. So we had people like queuing up outside Greenwich, like saying like, we see seats empty, like we want to come in and watch. And they had to turn them away because they couldn't manage it. And like wow. for Parisport and Dressage, like, that's, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, but definitely a different, you know, dynamic for horses to deal with and for the riders to deal with because we're just not used to that, are we? No, no. Um, and then in Tokyo, obviously, we didn't have spectators again, but due to COVID, you know, otherwise, I think they, they'd sold everything out. Um, but it was so different because we were competing, you know, a completely different time of night my first competition was I think half past 10 at yeah. night so the time difference was so different to being you know to home so you know just talking to people at home and having them supporting you it was you know massive um difference in in time um, yeah. and also like you know I went in with a very you know bit of a rocky road with not knowing what horse I was going to take up until like three days before flying and then not knowing if I was able to go because of COVID and all that yeah yeah so kind of went once I got there it was like this massive relief that and almost you know being so grateful to be able to be there to compete and being grateful almost for the last two games that I'd been in such a strong position going in that I did have the pressure to win gold yeah you know at the time it feels like that's that's really hard to deal with but you know looking back in hindsight it's an also an honor to be under that pressure because you're you're in that position so I think you know I've learned so much from from yeah going to my third games but in a very different position um and I think as you grow up obviously you, you know you learn different things don't you and you grow as a person well you're obviously an absolute superstar under pressure um and I've always wondered as well. I mean, I know you, you, you do it all the time. So, and a lot of riders will say, "Well, it's just like another test, another arena." But surely you must have, you must feel a little different. Like just naturally, you're at the Olympics, or are you so focused you don't really notice that? Yeah, like I, 
to some extent it is just another test and it's the yes. same whiteboards and you know pretty much you've got the same judges as well and you're competing against the same riders but there is that element of that heightened emotion and heightened atmosphere that you know it's different and yes. like for me once I get on the horse and I start warming up I'm pretty you know I'm pretty good at that point um yeah until the for the team test I was last to go in the drawn order for the team so Natasha and Lee had gone the day before and obviously it is hard going as the anchor person isn't it in the team yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> that's it like you, you know you know you've got to perform and I'd said to everybody I don't want to know any score <laughs> of what I've got to get because that's not going to help me <laughs> and yeah. it definitely wouldn't help me on this horse you know in in past games I can you know I can if I'm gunning for it I can I can push that a little extra bit but for this horse I knew I couldn't and then in the 10 minute box because we were competing at night the, it was floodlit and it was really good but there were some boxes around the outside of the warm-up and some people had just happened to walk behind the boxes and then just appear. Yeah. And Donny just, like, he's not a spooky horse. He's anxious in himself, but he's not spooky. And he literally just started spinning, like going left and then spinning right and then trying to jump over things that were not there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and um, I remember the horse and hound were, because the mix zone was kind of looking onto the 10-minute box. Yeah, the horse and hound were there, and they mentioned it afterwards, and was like, "Oh God, the warm-up looked quite tricky." Because I literally, he was still spinning round, and they were like, "Right, you've got to go in." Oh, no. And at that moment, I thought, "God, I've gone from thinking I need to get a good score for the team to medal <laughs> to Jesus, I've got to actually get into the test, I've got into the finish the test." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was um, that was quite a different pressured situation because. Yeah, with the three people in a team and no drop score, you you do have that pressure that you actually have to finish the test to yeah, of course, record yeah. a score now. So um, not that in the past that would definitely necessarily change, but then you've got someone else in the team that, you know, you could be the drop score. So, um, yeah, I tried not to panic and I just <laughs> walked around the outside of the arena trying to give him as much time as possible just to calm down. Yeah. And then they rung the bell and I was thinking, right, I probably <laughs> trot now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like when I finished, like the, the relief was immense because, I mean, I didn't know how I'd done, but the fact that I'd got through the test and actually, you know, I got messages afterwards saying, oh, he looks so relaxed going in. And I was like, oh, God, you've got no idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, well done. You did amazing. Well, Thank done. you. Well, you all did. Um, you've obviously been around the whole world competing. Can you name two of your favourite shows and and why? I bet that's quite hard as you've <laughs> Yeah, so I, I did do the um, the Young Rider World Cup final at Frankfurt. Yep. And that was amazing. But it was amazing because, you know, the horses were stabled in a multi story car park and you know, it was Christmassy like Olympia, so Oh, it, nice. it was just that was that was really cool um and then uh, we did do um the young rider europeans at cromberg um where matthias rap is um and where Tosalas was um and that was amazing because the facilities were just incredible um 
So I mean, yeah, if you could if you could choose to go back anywhere, you'd probably choose to go back there. But you know, to be fair, like Tokyo, I mean, if there were spectators there um, to add to the atmosphere, the, the facilities there were just incredible. Like, you know, you, you if you could build something, you would probably build what they had there because you know you had all rubber walkways everywhere outside. You know, really? there was. Yeah, there was a canter track, so you could go hacking around the track, and you know the the stables were just you know it was everything that you could possibly want. Wish for yeah. yeah. Um, so that was amazing. So it sounds like you've got a really good string of horses for the future. Have you got any younger superstars that people can look out for? Um, so I've got the going to the nationals this week on my five year old to do the novice. Um, she's called Diana. Her yeah. her, her her show name is Abiagard Samoa, um, and it does look like the dictionary is thrown up on a piece of paper because <laughs> you, you can't actually yeah pronounce it when you actually just look at it to read. So, um, but no, she's she's beautiful. She's owned by the Lady Joseph Trust. Um, and yeah, I got the ride on her at the beginning of this year. Um, I mean, she's quite a hot mare. She's quite fiery. Um, yeah. But she's super brave. So she went into Myosco Premier League Arena to do the um, five-year-olds. And that was her second show. And she just went straight in. No arena walks. We weren't allowed because of COVID. And just, you know, when you've just been to... You've, you've been to championships and you need you know you need a kind of brave horse that yeah go in somewhere and she just she yeah she gives me that cool feeling but also you know she's so fiery and so forward going and um yeah she's she'll have definitely potential for the for the higher level work for the grand prix so um I'm quite excited about her and um i've got a seven-year-old called jilt Gusenhoff, who I bought from um, Rebecca Hughes, okay, uh, like three and a half years ago. So he's seven, um, and I'm just gonna kind of work through the winter um, on the small tour stuff and, and get him out of small tour next year, I think. So. And does he look like the others as well, or is he a different type? Uh, he's the massive one. So he's the seventeenth <laughs> really. He's got a neck like a giraffe. So. Okay. Cool. I'm hoping that he'll never be told that he's short in the neck. <laughs> but he is—he is huge. So it's the one thing that everybody always has to tell me when they first see him, is that he's huge, which is absolutely correct. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you—you you don't want to be, you know, riding on force, and he's quite—he's quite, he's quite um, sensitive as well. So, um, yeah, he was just very naughty as a four-year-old. He was an angel as a three-year-old, but he was very naughty as a four-year-old. So when he decided that standing on his back legs was great fun it was not so fun when I was on top because he felt like a massive giant then um but yeah that's awesome isn't it so it is I have to just work through that and yeah well, definitely be looking out for all of those thank you um you've you've achieved so much already Sophie what else would you if you got your sights set on in the future um, I just love to keep training the horses to be the best that they can be. Um, so obviously, you know, my, I've competed three horses at Grand Prix. Um, one of them, Pinocchio, was for a few years we did um, Grand Prix, but the other two I only had um, a few shows on them 
um, for injury reasons. And then I lost my the mare that I started on Grand Prix a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to get back to Grand Prix and and, and compete at that level again. Um, and, yeah, just see, see how far we can go. But, I mean, I, I just love training the horses every day and seeing them improve and also, you know, keep coaching people and trying to help them enjoy the horses as much as I've you know been lucky enough to enjoy them and you know it's hard you know we all know it's hard work and we don't get away from riding in the rain no. um like this morning but you know it we we get so much from them and yeah I just feel lucky to be able to keep working with the horses and yeah see where it goes I think from talking to you today I think that comes across really how much you enjoy doing what you're doing so that's really nice to hear thank you um and the other thing that I wanted to ask you as well is what was it like becoming an MBE and how was it meeting the Queen? Um, <laughs> it was completely bonkers to be given an MBE because um, it's something that like, you know, you can't aim for, you can't, you know, compete for. It's something that's bestowed upon you. And course, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, just not in my wildest dreams did I ever <laughs> think that that, that would happen um so that was bonkers we I, I didn't actually have the queen um present the MBE because she was poorly that day oh, no. I had princess Anne but we I have been lucky enough to meet the queen at Buckingham Palace for quite a few times um on different um kind of occasions like after games and, and things like that so um and obviously she's a she's a horsewoman isn't she and yeah she is an amazing lady um to have done what she's done over so many years and still be still be serving the country and also loving her horses so yeah I mean just just bonkers to think that I have those letters after my name (laughs) yeah you just yeah you just think you're you know you still are the same person that you know was mucking out in the morning and (laughs) in the rain and all of that sort of stuff so yeah it's a bit crazy but oh no that's brilliant and who this doesn't have to be a dressage person per se but who is your biggest inspiration and why oh good question or maybe there's a few people but <laughs> I mean I, I feel like I'm I, I'm always very humbled when I go to like the parish shows and I see the riders whether that be in this country or other countries um doing what they do with the challenges that they have and you know how horses adapt and can communicate with riders with whatever disability that they have and yeah like that massively inspires me because it's yeah so humbling um I don't think there's one person that that does I mean there's so many people that you look up to whether that be in the dressage world yeah um, yeah like you know Carl and Isabel and I mean Jessica's done absolutely amazing the past few years I, mean, I know so amazing incredible. but you know I spent I spent years um yeah reading autobiographies and stuff because yeah you just want to like for me I just want to get better and be better and um yeah I don't think I could single out one person no, no, I'm sure you've just taken lots of pieces of nuggets of information and put it all together. But yeah. uh, well, well done. You've done you've done absolutely incredibly. 
Thank you. Uh, and thank you for giving up your time today. No worries. Thanks for asking me. I think you said that you're going to nationals uh, this week, so best yeah. of all of that. And, thank um, you. I'll see you soon. Thank you, Sophie. All right. No worries. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you, Sophie. It was utterly inspiring talking to you today. And thank you very much for sharing with all of us what it's like to win an actual gold medal at the Olympics. I feel like I got a real insight to what that might feel like. So thank you for sharing that experience with all of us. Also, what comes across is how much you love doing what you do on a daily basis. But also, you've been through some pretty major obstacles to get to where you wanted to get to. And your sheer hard work and determination has got you to all of your dreams. So that was really refreshing to hear. And your disability doesn't define you at all and Sophie I wish you all the luck in the world and if anyone wants to follow Sophie it's www.sophiewells.com and I'd also like to say thank you to everyone that shares and listens to my podcasts and if you enjoyed this episode please share it on social media thank you very much